nuclear hot seat. What are those people thinking? Nuclear hot seat. What have those boys been drinking? Nuclear hot seat. The corium is sinking. Our time to act is shrinking, but our activists are linking. Nuclear hot seat. It's the bomb. Welcome to Nuclear Hot Seat, the weekly international news magazine keeping you up to date on all things anti-nuclear. My name is Libby Halevi. I'm the producer and host, as well as a survivor of the nuclear accident at Three Mile Island from just one mile away. So I know what it looks like when the so-called nuclear experts get it wrong. This week, I gave free reign to our favorite nuclear engineer, Fairwinds.com's Arnie Gunderson to explain what he would do with the disaster mitigation at Fukushima Daiichi if he were put in charge. Listen to the clearest picture possible of the current status of the radioactive water, TEPCO and Japanese government mistakes, and a feasible plan that might make a difference without pretending to have more impact than it will. That interview, plus the radiation protection tip, numbnuts of the week for nuclear boneheadedness, and much more, will be coming up in just a few minutes. Today is Tuesday, September 10, 2013, and here is the week's anti-nuclear news. We're going to start out with our headline story, which is also this week's Numbnuts of the Week. Yes, that's right. The International Olympic Committee has decided, in the goodness of their hearts, that Fukushima Daiichi is not going to be a problem, and yes, Tokyo should have the 2020 Olympics. What are those people drinking? The joyous Japanese Prime Minister Shinzo Abe baby assured the world in an enthusiastic speech that the situation is under control. That's a direct quote, if a translated one. Meanwhile, there are a lot of people who would not agree with Abe Baby. TEPCO said on Monday, September 9th, that it has detected a new site with leaked toxic water in the complex. This is immediately after the announcement that the issue is, quote-unquote, under control. The International Atomic Energy Agency, IAEA, said that it will dispatch a team of nuclear experts to Japan in autumn to investigate the toxic water issue. Yukia Amano, director general of the IAEA, said that the massive buildup of radioactive water at the power plant was a problem that needed to be coped with urgently. Amano, if it needs to be dealt with urgently, why are you only going to Japan sometime in autumn? But be that as it may, the groundwater sampled just this past Sunday came from an observation well north of the leaky water storage tank. It was found to have contained 3,200 becquerels per liter of beta-ray-emitting materials, including strontium. The finding means that it now seems more likely that radioactive water from leaking tanks had mixed with groundwater in the area. This according to both Gigi Press and Kyoto News. What's significant here is that Japanese media is coming around to realizing the ongoing danger, and at least some of them are not covering it up. Critics at home and abroad say Abe Baby's gloss on the disaster at Fukushima is bordering on the dishonest. 
Boy, that's more diplomatic language than I can manage. Hiroake Koide, an associate professor at Kyoto University's Research Reactor Institute, said, I was flabbergasted by Abe's speech. The problem of contaminated water is far from being solved. The problem has been going on all the time since the reactors were destroyed. Contaminated water has been leaking into the ocean ever since. Groundwater flows out to the sea, taking along with it anything it has picked up and dumping it in the ocean. Mitsue Murata, a former Japanese ambassador to Switzerland, officially called for the withdrawal of Tokyo's Olympic bid on September 4th. This was because of the worsening crisis at Fukushima, and, of course, nobody paid attention to him. Jeff Kingston is director of Asian Studies at Temple University in Japan, and he says that TEPCO represents the Homer Simpson School of Nuclear Safety. He went on to say, Japanese public skepticism has skyrocketed, so Abe's agenda to fast-track restarts of nuclear reactors clearly is undermined by the recent revelations and spiking public concerns. Even the New York Times chimed in, picking up a story from the Tokyo Shimbun website. In it, Kazuko Nihei, 37, a housewife and Fukushima refugee who lives in Tokyo, was quoted as saying, They continue to ignore the severe problems at Fukushima. They are taking us for fools. Of course, none of this made any impact on Abe Baby, who spoke in Buenos Aires, where the Olympic vote was announced, and said, The bottom line is that there is absolutely no problem. Please look at the facts, not newspaper headlines. That's exactly what we do here at Nuclear Hot Seat, Abby Baby. We look at the facts that you ignore, spin, or deride. Those are the real facts. That's the real science. Pay attention to that. Kathy Awane, who lived in Japan for more than 20 years with her husband and two children, and has relocated to Southern California, where she was very involved with the battle to shut down San Onofre, posted two pictures conjoined with each other to make a point. One of them is a blueprint image for Tokyo's 2020 Olympic Village. The other one? A picture of prefabricated Fukushima refugee shelters, also funded by the government, which have been up for over two years. The contrast will tell it all. We will have that picture up on our website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog, Look under nuclear hot seat number 117, 117. There's been quite an outcry even in the short time since the announcement was made about the Olympics. Petitions, blog posts, and a growing gallery of posters, logos, and signs have been created. And again, we will display as many of those as we can and keep up with it as the weeks go by at nuclearhotseat.com. Other problems at Fukushima Daiichi? On September 5th, it was reported that the arm of a crane snapped while moving debris from the building housing the damaged number three reactor. There's actually film of the crane starting to lean over. And no, this is not one of those thousand cranes that we fold out of origami to represent peace and prayers. This is a great big multi-story thing that is crucial to the work going on on site. A crack was found on the joint part for the main mast, and jib. No word when it will be back in full functioning order. There are problems with morale and discipline among the workers at Fukushima. 
Gigi Press reported that crime is up among the staff on site. It said in the first eight months of this year, 74 workers were charged with crimes such as theft and fights resulting in injury. The figure is already close to three times the 2012 total of 26 reports. Wow, you think stress might have something to do with it? Manichi chimed in after they talked with one of the workers at Fukushima. He is represented anonymously to preserve his identity and job description. And he says that he's not an agitator, that he's a completely average employee. And this man said, as quoted in Manichi, we're not getting any extra staff. The management says, do this and do that. But I don't think they really consider the workers' radiation exposure doses at all. Recently, some government minister came here and ran his mouth, right? When I see stuff like that, I think, give me a break. What the hell do you know about anything? The man went on to say that the situation is the same as war. The workers at the Fukushima plant deeply distrust those in Tokyo. Then there's this report, which appeared on August 5, 2013, in an AP story. It reported that Japanese workers who are risking their health to shut down Fukushima Daiichi have been suffering from depression, anxiety about the future, hopelessness, and a loss of motivation. This according to two doctors who visit them regularly. These doctors report that the workers are drinking more as well. Just what you always wanted in a nuclear disaster worker, a blood alcohol level that can be measured. But can you blame them? Now, with so much attention being focused on Japan because of the Tokyo Olympics, you're going to see a lot more spin coming thick and fast from the nuclear establishment all over. Here are a couple of examples of it. The announcement came on Monday, September 9th, that Japan's government has formed a team to oversee decommissioning and water decontamination measures at the still-leaking Fukushima nuclear reactor. Note that it is located just 150 miles away from Tokyo, which is site of the 2020 Olympics. Are you catching a theme here? The government's team will be headed by Trade Minister Toshimitsu Motegi. Members of the team include Shunichi Tanaka, Chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Authority, and Vice Ministers of Related Ministries. The measure is part of a PR push by Prime Minister Shinzo Abe Baby to convince the world that Tokyo is safe for the 2020 Olympics. To which Nuclear Hot Seat would like to reference this article from March 25, 2012, from Fairwinds.org and Arnie Gunderson, who's going to be the interview a little bit later on. The article, based on a video released by Fairwinds.com, spoke of the time that Arnie was traveling in Japan in early 2012. While there, he took soil samples in Tokyo public parks, playgrounds, and rooftop gardens. All of the samples would be considered nuclear waste if found in the United States. This level of contamination is in Tokyo, the site of the 2020 Olympics. Ah, here's another piece of institutionalized spin-speak. The Japanese Ministry of Foreign Affairs will set up an international group concerning water issues at Fukushima Daiichi, with one priority being enhanced global communications. In other words, a better interconnect of pro-nuclear wordsmiths 
churning out the press releases, op-ed pieces, and the like to spread and institutionalize the lies, propaganda, and spin-speak. But hey, that's just my opinion. Let's see what they're actually doing. This new intergovernmental liaison office is going to be established near Fukushima Daiichi, and one of its priorities will be, quote, prevention of reputational damage or misinformation. I guess they mean putting out fires when people say nasty things about them that happen to be true. Shinzo Abe Baby does have a Facebook page. I went to it. I posted repeatedly on it. I'm currently blocked from it, but you're not. Go have at it. So, of course, we started this week with the numbnuts of the week, which, given the IOC's decision on the Olympics of 2020, nothing could trump that. But, man, there was some stiff competition for the number two place. I'll call it a tie. In this first one, British diplomats faced down their nuclear fears of Fukushima with a cricket match in Fukushima. Well, Nero fiddled while Rome burned, but the British just play cricket. Shrugging off recent reports of soaring radiation levels at the earthquake hit plant, a team from the British Embassy in Tokyo played a cricket match this past Saturday on the edge of the exclusion zone. Whee! What fun! According to Tim Hitchens, the British ambassador, obviously there is a question of safety. But the British government has from the start been led by the science in its response to the situation at Fukushima. What? The science of who? The IAEA? UNSCIR? Again, guys, you got to listen to the next two nuclear hot seats. It will blow this argument out of the water. This article goes on to say that the British embassy is keen to downplay, quote-unquote, unfounded fears over radioactivity and emphasizes that radiation levels outside the exclusion zone are largely within permissible levels. Does that mean they're smallly outside of permissible levels? And who set those levels? Who gave permission? And what was the science beside... Oh, God. (sighs) Blood pressure. The ongoing impact of the crisis at the nuclear plant just over a low range of hills from the cricket match, is very evident. Workers in protective clothing were operating bulldozers, and diggers in fields either side of the main road were scraping off top layers of soil and collecting it in huge bags that are then covered with blue tarpaulins. Meanwhile, Nero fiddled, and the British played cricket. And let me tell you, by Jiminy, that is just not cricket. And here is the worst all runner-up for Numbnuts of the Week. And it is worst all because that's the name of the man who wrote it, Tim Worst All. This was an article in Forbes suggesting that the way to solve the Fukushima radioactivity problem is to dump all that water in the ocean. Mm-mm-mm. Now, Worst All is also the man who likened Fukushima radiation levels to the equivalent of 76 million bananas. I don't know whether you had to eat them, be around them, or smoke them. The article is just a lot of spin, junk science, and gobbledygook. Look, worst all, Earth is a rock in the middle of a bubble in the middle of nowhere. 
what happens on Earth stays on Earth. We can't throw it away. And even though the ocean may look really, really big to you, I'm on the other side of it and it's coming towards me, meaning the radiation. And I don't like it one little bit, so knock it off. This appeared in Forbes. Steve Forbes, you are invested in 15 different nuclear companies. Are you perhaps letting your personal interest steer the news? How Rupert Murdoch of you. You are such a fox. But again, nothing can top the Olympics this week as numbnuts of the week, so alas, you must be runner-up. Better luck next time. Let's use fish to bridge into other places in the world, because even if we're not paying attention here in the United States, oh boy, other countries are. South Korea announced on Friday, September 6th, that it has placed an import ban on all fisheries products from eight Japanese prefectures, including Fukushima. The move comes as a widespread radiation scare in South Korea is leading to a sharp drop in the consumption of fisheries products. The Ministry of Oceans and Fisheries said in a press release, the measure, meaning the ban, comes as our people's concerns are growing over the fact that hundreds of tons of radiation-contaminated water are leaked daily from the site of Japan's nuclear accident in Fukushima. So Korea is paying attention. In China, a biologist and food expert is calling for a ban on all fish from Japan. Leung Ka-sing, an associate professor at Polytechnic University's Department of Applied Biology and Chemical Technology, said that banning the fish would act as a preventive measure and would address fears over radiation. If the government imposed a ban, he said, the city would still have enough supplies of fish. So why not? Indeed, why not? China is paying attention to the fish. The Huffington Post, in an article entitled Sakai Salmon Sushi, Use a Geiger Counter, written by Allison Winfield Burns, states that spawning sockeye salmon journey via the North Pacific Current from the top of Japan to Northern California, British Columbia, and Alaska. This same current carries whatever Fukushima is in the process of vomiting forth, bathing salmon and herring all along the way in radioactive cesium. We need to test the fish. Nobody, no entity, no country tests the salmon for radiation exposure. This is a red flag. Dr. Erica Frank, former president of Physicians for Social Responsibility, passed along a communication from the Canadian Food Inspection Agency. It read in part, To date, all results that have been produced, meaning from their testing of salmon, show that no radionuclides are present above actionable levels. This means that we have not found any evidence of radioactivity in any food product at levels of concern. Once the agency has conducted its rigorous quality control, it will publish all test results on its website. Uh, excuse me, Canadian Food Inspection Agency. Actionable levels? No radionuclides present above actionable levels? What's the difference between an actionable and a not actionable level? Where is it drawn? And who draws it? What's the criterion behind it? 
no evidence of radioactivity in any food product at levels of concern? Excuse me, I'm already concerned. I have a level of concern. I'm sure Canadians have a level of concern. Who set that limit? Where did the number come from? What's the science behind it? Is it from the World Health Organization? Is it from the International Atomic Energy Agency? Both of which are highly compromised, which you'll learn about in two weeks on Nuclear Hot Seat. Dr. Frank said, in particular, this, meaning the part of the communique I just read, is the piece that indicates to me that they have found levels detectable but difficult to explain without undue alarm. So Canada, or at least some Canadians, are paying attention to the fish. And here's the kicker. Guam. Guam is requesting funds to test for Fukushima contamination. Guam is an unincorporated territory of the United States that sits just below Japan on the map. And Guam's Environmental Protection Agency has requested funds from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency so they can begin testing seawater and fish for Fukushima contamination. The island sits directly on the Kuroshio current known to be transporting at least some of the contamination from Fukushima Daiichi. The U.S. EPA, as usual, attempted to pawn responsibility off to the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration and the Food and Drug Administration, neither of which have opted to take action, not unlike the U.S. EPA. However, if Guam can manage to obtain their own equipment, it would be one of the few testing locations in U.S. territories. Guam is paying attention. When will the rest of the world? Meanwhile, in Japan, former Japanese Prime Minister Naoto Kan will visit Taiwan from September 12 to 15 for a series of events expressing opposition to nuclear power. Kan was Japan's Prime Minister when the 2011 earthquake caused the triple meltdown at Fukushima Daiichi. He will share his experience through this ordeal, which includes the fact that TEPCO lied to him for the first two months. Kan and other guest lecturers will review the nuclear crisis in Japan as well as how grassroots movements could reverse the trends of nuclear development and alternate energy solutions. Nothing like a former world leader changing his stance and being outspoken against nuclear. There's a long report by Michael Schneider dealing with the decline in use of nuclear power around the world. He paints quite a compelling picture, and we will link to the article. It's too long and intricate to go into here, but we will have it up on the website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog under Nuclear Hot Seat 117. And to end our news report today, we have this seemingly hinky story. Hanford officials are claiming that unusual radiation readings that caused an emergency to be declared last month at Hanford came from old contamination. Oh, that's so reassuring. They said that no evidence of a new leak from the system being used to retrieve waste from a Hanford tank or from the system's transfer hoses was found. This is what they told Hanford workers on Tuesday, September 3rd. Now I ask you, does this make any sense? The Hanford officials said, an investigation concluded that insulating blankets that had shielded radiation on an area about four square inches shifted causing the elevated beta radiation readings during routine monitoring. 
This according to Kevin Smith, spokesmodel and manager of the Department of Energy Hanford Office of River Protection. Four square inches. Further, Washington River Protection Solutions, the Department of Energy contractor for the tanks farms, has completed an assessment of the problem and found no additional contamination or exposure to the environment. Employees of URS Corporation, a subcontracting engineering company, also helped with the investigation. Excuse me, that sounds to me like asking the fox to do a census on the hen house. You've got the DOE's Office of River Protection, Washington River Protection Solutions, the DOE contractor, and URS Corporation, all cronies of each other saying, eh, four square inches, we'll cover it, no big deal. Pay no attention to that nuclear nightmare lurking behind the curtain. Enough of this nonsense. It's time to hear from a real expert with real facts and tremendous clarity. Arnie Gunderson is our favorite nuclear engineer. He has 40 years of nuclear power engineering experience. He was a licensed reactor operator, holds a nuclear safety patent, and is a former nuclear industry senior vice president. During his nuclear power industry career, Arnie managed and coordinated projects at 70 nuclear power plants in the U.S. That's seven zero. He currently heads Fairwinds Energy Education and consults on nuclear power issues around the world. Arnie is a primary provider of clear-headed thinking about the problems at Fukushima Daiichi, so I decided to give him his head to explain what he would do if he were put in charge of the cleanup. Arnie Gunderson, welcome back to Nuclear Hot Seat. Hey, thanks for having me. Arnie, first, bring us up to date on the current status of Fukushima Daiichi. Paint the picture. How bad is it? Uh, yeah, in a word, Fukushima Daiichi is a mess. And uh, it didn't have to get as bad as it did. The condition of the site right now is that there's an enormous amount of water coming off of the mountain behind the site that's leaking into the basements of all the other buildings. This has been going on for 40 years. The mountain has released something on the order of a, a, a thousand tons of water a day through the groundwater, and about 400 has always leaked into the basement of these buildings. But they had some pumps, and uh, of course they didn't have a nuclear accident, so uh, they could pump that water out routinely. Well, when the uh, earthquake happened, the building sunk three feet the, the whole coast of Japan sunk three feet, and that, of course, increases the hydraulic pressure. Uh, it cracked so that the foundation is now cracked. So the net effect is the mountain is still doing what the mountain's always been doing, putting groundwater into the bottom of this plant. But now there's radioactive material that's leaked out of the nuclear reactor onto the floor of the containment. And uh, uh, the, the containment building's leaking like a sieve through penetrations that failed during the accident and cracks and things like that. So this water is coming in direct contact with the nuclear fuel and is becoming heavily contaminated. So Tokyo Electric has been running around building, frantically building tanks, about three large tanks a week to make up for the amount of water they have to pump out of these basements. And in the process, they've created over a 1,000 tanks up on the hill behind the plant. Some of the t- All these tanks are thrown up in a hurry. 
and they're um, a lot of them are bolted together with rubber on the joints, and uh, they're only designed to last for five years and are already two years old. So they're already starting to leak into the groundwater. So you've got tanks leaking into the groundwater, and you've got the nuclear plant leaking into the groundwater. So the immediate problem is a condition of the groundwater that's then leaking directly into the Pacific Ocean, like it always has, except now it's got radiation inside it. So what caught the public's attention last month is that one of these tanks was leaking substantially, and it had extraordinarily high levels of radiation inside it. The radiation would be lethal in four hours. So it was um, really nasty stuff. But there's a thousand other tanks that are similar. So it's not like there was, it's a one, it's a one tank problem. So that tank caught the public's attention, but in fact, there's a thousand tanks on that hillside plus the basement that is continuing to contaminate the groundwater on the site and the groundwater is being pushed into the Pacific. So the net effect is, uh, we're contaminating the Pacific Ocean and will for years, if not decades, to come. Anything else you want to add to the current situation? Yeah. I started this conversation by saying it could have been avoided. Two years ago, I wrote a book in Japanese only called Fukushima Daiichi, The Truth and the Future. And I talked about the fact that what needed to be done back then was to build a trench that isolated the plant from the mountain and fill it with something called zeolite. Zeolite is a volcanic ash that's very good at absorbing radiation. And then what that would have allowed would have been you could have pumped the clean water down so that it didn't enter the plant. The goal would be to pump the water table down. And I was told by Japanese officials at the time that Tokyo Electric didn't have enough money to do that. Well, it's a pay-me-now-or-pay-me-later situation because now they've got a multi-billion dollar problem on their hands and they need a bigger trench. Had they done it a couple of years ago, it would have prevented the groundwater from becoming contaminated. Now the groundwater is contaminated. But, you know, in the big picture, it's like filling a bathtub with the drain closed. Tokyo Electric is building the sides of the bathtub higher to keep the water in, but they're not turning the spigot off. And what they really need to do is turn the spigot off, and that's making sure that new, fresh groundwater doesn't get into the site. And that's not happening. That won't happen for years to come. What about the pending problem with their planned removal of the spent fuel rods starting in November? The second problem is the fact that they are planning to remove the fuel from Unit 4. Now, all of this groundwater problem is sort of a sideshow for the fact that we have three nuclear reactor cores that are melted down, and eventually four buildings are going to have to be completely uh, dismantled. The first and easiest problem is the fuel pool in Unit 4. If you recall back when the accident started, when the Americans were evacuated, the uh, reason for that evacuation was the fuel in the fuel pool at Unit 4. The meltdowns were not as bad as the danger of the fuel in the fuel pool at Unit 4. Well, now we're two and a half years later, and the fuel has cooled somewhat, and they can begin to remove the fuel. What that entails, think of a fuel rack as a pack of cigarettes, and you try to pull a cigarette out, 
if you hold the pack of cigarettes in the right direction and pull the cigarette straight up, it'll come out just fine. But if the pack is distorted and you pull the cigarette, it breaks. Well, that's the problem that they're going to encounter on Fukushima Daiichi 4. The racks are distorted from the earthquake. Oh, by the way, the roof has fallen in, which further distorted the racks. And uh, the net effect is that they've got the bundles of fuel, the cigarettes, if you will, in these racks. And as they pull them out, they're likely to snap a few. When you snap a nuclear fuel rod, that releases radioactivity again. So my guess is, and it's things like Krypton-85, which is a gas, uh, cesium will also be released, strontium will be released. They'll probably have to evacuate the building for a couple of days. They'll take that radioactive gas and they'll send it up the stack up into the air because xenon can't be scrubbed, it can't be cleaned. So they'll send that radioactive xenon up into the air and purge the building of all the radioactive gases and then go back in and try again. It's likely that that problem will uh, will exist on more than one bundle. So over the next year or two, it wouldn't surprise me that either they don't remove all the fuel because they don't want to pull too hard, or if they do pull too hard, they're likely to uh, damage the fuel and cause a, a radiation leak inside the building. So that's problem number two in this process, getting the fuel out of Unit 4 is a top priority item, but it's not going to be easy. Tokyo Electric is portraying this as easy. In a normal nuclear reactor, all of this is done with computers, and, and uh, everything gets pulled perfectly vertically. Well, nothing is vertical anymore in there. The fuel racks are distorted, and um, it's all going to have to be done manually through very murky water. The net effect is that it's a really difficult job, and it wouldn't surprise me if they snapped some of the fuel and they can't remove it. Ernie, let's go to the hypothetical now. If you ruled the world, if you were suddenly at this moment put in charge of everything happening at Fukushima Daiichi from this point forward, where would you start? What would you do first, and how would you proceed? On my first five minutes on the job, I would fire Tokyo Electric. Uh, They're not an engineering company. They never were an engineering company. They're an operating company, and they didn't do a very good job at operating either, but they never were engineers. And I would bring in a large international engineering company to replace them. So problem number one is you've got people that don't know what they're doing trying to dismantle the site. Problem number two, though, uh, the second thing I would do is I would tell the Japanese people that they're on the hook here for something like a half a trillion dollars, U.S. dollars. That hasn't been done. The Abe administration hasn't admitted exactly how much this cleanup is going to cost because the Abe administration wants to start nuclear plants up, and if the Japanese people knew they were on the hook, it would be uh, a lot more difficult and there would be a lot more public resistance. So part of the problem with the cleanup to date has been incompetence by Tokyo Electric. But the second part, I can't blame Tokyo Electric. They don't have the money. And they never did have the money, and there's been this cozy relationship between the Japanese government and and TEPCO that uh, the Japanese government has blamed Tokyo Electric but never stepped forward and tried to correct the problem. That's got to stop. Get rid of Tokyo Electric and have the Japanese government commit to spending the adequate money. 
then where would I spend that money? First, I'd pump down the groundwater table where the clean water is coming. That would finally allow less in-leakage into the site, and you could finally clean these basements out. But without removing the clean water, you're never going to solve the problem of of in-leakage into the basement. The second thing is I would remove the fuel from Unit 4 and Unit 3. Unit 3 is, in my opinion, as scary as Unit 4 because seismically they're both at risk. You know, Tokyo Electric built a wall along the ocean to keep the contamination from entering the ocean. But what that did is it made the site wet. It increased the water table on the site so that in the event of a seismic accident, the buildings won't respond the way they were designed to respond. So they're seismically at risk now. So Unit 3 has a little less fuel in it, but it's a mess because of the explosion. So that the net effect is that I don't know which presents the bigger risk, Unit 4 or Unit 3. They both have to have the fuel removed, and they're both going to be extraordinarily difficult to do that in their fuel pool. The last piece of the puzzle is what do you do with these carcasses, three nuclear reactors? No one knows where the nuclear fuel is, I'm sure. Most of it is not in the nuclear reactor, and and most of that has wound up on the floor of the containment and, of course, is now spread out in numerous buildings. The radiation levels are extraordinary, and frankly, if I were a Japanese, I wouldn't want to expose a large number of Japanese men to the radiation levels they're seeing there. So my position has been for the last two years that the carcasses – of these three nuclear units that had the explosions should be put in a sarcophagus like Chernobyl and should be let to decay for at least 100 years. 100 years will knock the radiation level down by 10. So whatever the levels are, they'll be 10 times lower 100 years from now. Now, a Japanese finance minister said this week they can't do that because if they don't knock the buildings down, the public won't let them run their nuclear power plants. In other words, they they need to show that there's some finality to Fukushima so that the public feels secure in running the other 50 nuclear plants in Japan. But the problem here is that they are willing to expose an extraordinarily large number of men, and maybe women, but men in that culture, to an extraordinarily high amount of radiation in order to meet a political goal. And the political goal is to get the 50 units that they have shut down right now back running. And I don't think human beings should be political radiation fodder for uh, the Abe regime and their attempts at getting the reactor started again. According to Bloomberg News today, they had a headline, Japan forms team to oversee Fukushima decommission toxic water. But in reading this brief article, the team is headed by Japan's trade minister, and members of the team include the chairman of the Nuclear Regulatory Authority and vice ministers of related ministries. So it sounds to me like an Olympics-related PR ploy to assure people that everything is going to be under control. How effective do you think a team made up of people like this is going to be in moving the cleanup forward? I think uh, involving Japanese government officials will be useless to uh, move the cleanup forward. What really needs to happen is an international group of experts has to come forward and come up with a risk-based plan. Where's the best 
and most important place to spend money right now. I think right now the Japanese have a Tokyo Olympics-based plan. Where is the best place to spend the money to keep the public's eye off of Fukushima so we can move forward on other counts? The other piece of that puzzle, though, is so you've got throw out Tokyo Electric, put somebody in charge who knows what they're doing, and then have a group of experts from around the world, independent experts, consult with that engineering company and come up with a strategic plan okay, it's really important to lower the water table, it's really important to do this, that, and the other thing. But the last piece is that I think we need a public oversight of that process. We need independent people, not nuclear experts, independent people from inside Japan and perhaps outside Japan to oversee the company that's tearing the plant apart. And if they are getting inadequate funds from the Japanese government, these independent people should stand up and speak out that the funds are not being made available. And I don't think that will happen without some real independence assured by the Japanese. We're dealing with a culture that's very top-down. You know, the, Everybody's trying to cover for the more important boss above them. And the net effect is that we're, we're two and a half years into the Fukushima cleanup, and, and it's worse, not better. So I think the uh, Japanese are still doing window dressing on this. Americans can, can do something about this, I think, especially West Coast Americans. I think if the people in California contact Senator Feinstein and uh, Boxer and the people in Oregon contact Senator Wyden and others, I think the congressional pressure from America can get the Japanese to change their approach. But until that happens, I don't think the Japanese government has a clear handle on the risk that their population is facing. We're getting calls from medical doctors in Japan who are saying that they're being told by their bosses to tell their patients that none of the injuries they're experiencing are radiation-related. There's an enormous pressure on the medical establishment to downplay the effects of this accident on the people that have been exposed. And I think that's awful. A, a physician's responsibility shouldn't be to the uh, people in authority. The physician's responsibility should be to the public that they're serving. And that's been distorted in Japan. We're also seeing scientists in Japan who are refusing to work with other scientists uh, in assessing these radiation damage effects because they're afraid of their careers in this very bureaucratic top-down structure. So we're not getting any good science out of Japan, and we're not getting any good medical data out of Japan. And until those problems are cleared up, the IAEA's position will be substantiated. Everyone's saying, well, nobody died. Of course they're going to say that when the data records are, are distorted. So my other concern is in the broad cultural sense, the Japanese are under extraordinary pressure from high political pressure to minimize the effects of this accident so that the people of Japan are essentially a scientific experiment, but nobody's reporting the results. Have you tried to contact Japanese authorities to offer your assistance, or have you been asked by them for any input on how to proceed? The last two times I traveled over, I was concerned I wouldn't be let in the country. I did, when the accident occurred, 
talk about zeolite trenches to people in authority in Japan, but I was told that they couldn't afford to do it the right way. You know, when I went over for the book tour, which was in February of 2012, the publisher was very concerned that I wouldn't be allowed in the country. So this is a situation where I don't think the government wants to hear what real independent experts are saying, and that's really the travesty of Fukushima. Arnie, this is a thorough and, of course, a devastating picture of what is going on in Japan. If you had a message to give to the Japanese government or to the governments of the world, the citizens of the world, about the need for focusing on this problem before it's too late, what would you say? Well, there's two things. I, I, I don't care what god you pray to, but... It's important that we all pray that there not be another large earthquake. That entire tank farm is held together with plastic pipe and could easily fail and run directly into the Pacific. That's the, that's the first piece of it. And the second piece of it is that if people in authority think they can cover that up, this entire situation up, I believe they're wrong. The difference now between now and Three Mile Island and between now and Chernobyl is that we have the Internet. So sooner or later, this information is going to get out. So I would hope that people in authority in Japan would recognize that and not try to impede the flow of information because the credibility of the Japanese government is on the line here. As I said, you know, Fairwinds continually gets information which we make public whenever we can. Of course, the fear is that if someone's going to lose their job, we try to sanitize the information to prevent that. But we are getting this information. It's coming out in drips and drabs, but it will continue to flow because of the Internet. And the Japanese government can't stop that. So I hope they will work with it instead of against it. And finally, with the Olympics being planned for Tokyo in 2020, how good an idea do you think that is? I think it was designed to take the public mind off of a bigger problem. Now, the Japanese are going to spend a couple billion dollars on the Olympics, and I think that money would be better spent cleaning up the, the site and cleaning up Fukushima Prefecture. I think the future of their kids is a lot more important than uh, being on ABC News for eight days. Arnie, thank you so much always for all the work that you do, for your expertise, and the generosity and clarity with which you share it. Thanks for being on Nuclear Hot Seat. Thanks for having me again. That was Arnie Gunderson, our Mr. Wizard, for those of you who are old enough to understand the reference. More on Arnie's work can be found at fairwinds.com. That's F as in Frank, A-I-R-E-W-I-N-D-S dot com, or dot org. It's the same site. They've got videos, audios, cutting-edge information, all of it presented with clarity. Make sure you sign up to automatically get the Fairwinds podcasts, which are, again, clear, calm, and informative, as Arnie talks with some of the top experts in the world about Fukushima and other nuclear issues, fairwinds.com. We'll have a radiation protection tip in just a moment. But first, I want to remind you that Nuclear Hot Seat needs your support. Yes, you, sitting right there and listening. We need your support to keep bringing you the nuclear news you won't get anywhere else. Radiation protection tips, activist opportunities, numbnuts of the week, the NRC doc report, and so much more. So if you feel compelled to help, 
if you wish to be codependent, if you just wish to be a really nice person and help us out, go to our website, nuclearhotseat.com. Scroll down on the homepage and click on the big red donate button and then follow the prompts. Whatever you can do to help, know that it's appreciated. And hey, while you're on the site, I have a free report that I created for the Excellence in Journalism Conference for all those mainstream media people about the five blind spots that mainstream media faces in covering the nuclear issue and how to avoid them. If you're interested in the information, if you are an activist, if you'd like to become an activist, go there, put in your name and email address, and you will get by return email in your inbox, your very own PDF of this report, which will explain a whole lot to you. So for our radiation protection tip, let's talk about adrenal protection. I know I mention my adrenals here quite often because that's what got fried for me in the wake of Three Mile Island. Had I known about the dangers of adrenal stress back then, I would have taken drastic steps to preserve my health from the start. As it was, the source of my exhaustion and sleeplessness and low energy and so much else eluded me and my doctors until I read the book Adrenal Fatigue, the 21st Century Stress Syndrome by James L. Wilson. The information contained within, especially the self-diagnostic test, gave me what I needed to take effective, proactive steps on behalf of my exhausted adrenals. If you find yourself stressed and stretched after a nuclear incident, by the nuclear issue, reading about it, even listening to this podcast, or even independent of all things nuclear, if you just are feeling bleh, I encourage you to read this book, take the test, and decide for yourself. If the signs point to you having an adrenal problem, my suggestion is that you consult with a licensed or certified health practitioner you trust. My choice would be for an herbalist, naturopath, certified nutritionist, or other holistic practitioner skilled in non-pharmaceutical treatment. However, for you, an appropriate MD may be the right choice. You're a big person. You make your own decisions on this. But get a guide for dietary changes, supplementation, and treatments to improve your adrenal health. Know that while the adrenal glands do not reset to their pre-stressed levels, with proper care you can have the energy to live a relatively normal life. You might even decide to produce a weekly podcast. And for those of us dealing with nuclear issues, we need to make certain that we don't fry ourselves out and crash because every last one of us is needed. Activist shout-outs. A reminder that on October 19, there's going to be a one-day symposium on decommissioning San Onofre and the ongoing dangers of nuclear waste, otherwise known as San Onofre, the nuclear waste dump. It will be held in San Clemente, California, and will be live-streamed. So no matter where you are in the world, you can follow it. Speakers will include Dr. Arjun Makajani and Dr. Marvin Reznikoff both of them national experts on the key issues. And our favorite Arnie Gunderson of Fairwinds, whom you just heard, will be there as well. There will be plenty of time for questions to panelists and group discussions. I don't know if the questions can be submitted from those of you who are watching the live stream, but it may be possible. We'll find out. This is the first time a symposium on the waste and decommissioning process has been called, and will focus on the nuclear problems that start once the reactors are stopped. For more information, go to residentsorganizedforsafeenvironment.wordpress.com 
and click on the Symposium on Decommissioning button on the right column. Or simply go to our website, nuclearhotseat.com forward slash blog under Nuclear Hot Seat 113. And we will have the link to an interview with Symposium organizer Gene Stone, as well as how you can click through. Oh, heck, I'm going to put the link on this one as well. I'm still looking for contacts to John Stewart because I am the nuclear pundit for The Daily Show. If you know someone who can help get John and me together, or one of his producers, hey, let's go, let's do this thing. Coffee's on me, I'll buy. The Olympics alone should be good for a regular feature on that show. So let's get it done. Email me your information as to how to contact John Stewart at info at nuclearhotseat.com. Here's today's final thought, and it comes from a post by Dr. Helen Caldicott, where she wrote, Given how strapped Japan is economically by the mind-boggling cost of cleanup, remediation, and endless safety fixes, patches, and failures at the Fukushima disaster site, and given that they are still recovering from an historic earthquake and tsunami, plus facing untold public health and environmental harm, Who is paying for the lobbying and preparation for the Olympics? If, as the UN Special Rapporteur for the Right to Health found, the people of Japan deserve the right to health, which is now endangered by the Fukushima nuclear disaster, how is throwing their future away and spending the money on the equivalent of 15 minutes of Olympic fame in any way excusable? All attention in Japan should be focused on mitigation of the effects of the nuclear disaster, securing the site and the nuclear waste and leaks, and dealing openly and honestly with food contamination, loss of homes, loss of work, and the multi-generational harm faced by Japan's people and its ecosystem. The Olympics symbolizes the best in human achievement and nature. It does not celebrate the superficial at the cost of the real. To win at the Olympics, you have to be good, not just look good. Glossing over the tremendous task faced by Japan and its people in favor of the world's most expensive PR event simply defies explanation. And putting young, vulnerable athletes, not to mention spectators, at unnecessary risk is inexcusable. Thank you, Dr. Caldecott. Couldn't have said it better myself. I guess I do have a final thought, and that is a heads-up that I am taking a well-earned and much-needed break from actively producing Nuclear Hot Seat for the next two weeks. I regularly put in 15-hour days every Tuesday getting this done, and that doesn't count how much time I put in during the rest of the week. I'm tired. So I'm going offline, off-grid, and just taking a break for a while to rejuvenate. However, do not despair. I have prepared two of the most important nuclear hot seats I have ever done to run while I am away. It's a two-part series on the unholy alliance between the World Health Organization and the International Atomic Energy Agency, which makes the pro-nuclear IAEA the ultimate authority on whatever the WHO releases into the world about the health impact of nuclear radiation. Nuclear Hot Seat number 118 next week will present a full-length interview with Allison Katz of Independent Who?, a Swiss-based organization that pushes for the World Health Organization's separation from the IAEA so that it may fulfill its mandate to genuinely protect the world's health. It will provide 
amazingly detailed information I've not encountered anywhere else on how the WHO operates, its internal flaws, how it became completely co-opted by pro-nuclear forces. That's next week's Nuclear Hot Seat posting on Tuesday, September 24th. The following week, Part 2 of the WHO IAEA series will feature a stunning full-program interview with Joseph Mangano of Radiation and Public Health Project. Using Dr. Rosalie Bertel's analysis of IAEA's epidemiology, and I have to put the word in quotes when it comes to the IAEA, their epidemiology, in quotes, is really the medical censorship that they enforce on any studies or reports that WHO might want to create on nuclear issues. Once you hear this analysis by Joe Mangano, you will understand why you must never trust the WHO on anything it says about nuclear issues, radiation and health, or the dangers at Fukushima, because all of it, all of it, is an institutionalized lie. Again, those will be two new full-length nuclear hot seats on the WHO IAEA Unholy Alliance coming up in the next two weeks. For now, this has been Nuclear Hot Seat for Wednesday, September 10, 2013. Material for this week's program has been researched and compiled from ENENews.com, Xinhua, Gigi Press, AFP, New York Times, Japan Times, Kyoto News, PRI's The World, Japan Media, Mainichi, Associated Press, Bloomberg News, Forbes.com, Huffington Post, Fairwinds.com, or .org. Either one will get you to Arnie Gunderson's material. Telegraph.co.uk, Focus Taiwan, FukuLeaks.org, InvestorIdeas.com, Marig.com, TriCityHerald.com, South China Morning Post, World Nuclear News, and the Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook community. With a shout-out to Kathy Awane for her steadfast activism, as well as those comparison pictures of Japan's proposed Olympic Village and Fukushima refugees' two-and-a-half-year-old temporary housing. Our archive is available on iTunes or at NuclearHotSeat.com forward slash blog. 116 past episodes, plus this one today, includes interviews with experts on every aspect of the international nuclear debacle. So check it out, and be sure to friend me, either by my name or at either of the two Nuclear Hot Seat Facebook pages. And comment! Go to the website, put comments, let me know what you're thinking. Nuclear Hot Seat is the activist voice on nuclear issues. So if you have a story lead, a hot tip, or a suggestion of someone to interview, send an email to info at nuclearhotseat.com. We are copyright 2013, Libby Halevi and Hardestry Communications. All rights reserved, but fair use is allowed. You have my permission to reuse the material in this program as long as you provide proper attribution to me, Libby Halevi, the program, Nuclear Hot Seat, and the website, NuclearHotSeat.com. With all the concern about the waters of the world and radiation, going out on the song The Stream from the album Voodoo Love. The song is by Marilee Weber and John Bernard and is sung by Marilee Weber. This is Libby Halevi of Heartistry Communications, the heart of the art of communicating, reminding you that San Onofre is still shut down forever. And we've all had our nuclear wake-up call. Now, do not go back to sleep because we are all in the nuclear hot seat. 
hollowed a stream down to the river. I followed the river down to the sea. Stood on the shore, saw forever. I felt a power calling me. Hoist the anchor, for the winds are with us today. Spread the canvas. We'll be on our There's no turning back. Set a course for the trains. We'll sail today. I followed the stream down to the river. I followed the river down to the sea. Stood on the shore. Cast my fate to the sea. Follow my dreams. Let the winds carry me beyond sight of land. When you're truly at sea, I'll sight my star. I follow the stream. Stood on the shore, saw 